Radio shows you love from the people you know. This is Sam Talks Technology. Hello, good afternoon. Welcome, Marlo. Welcome the web. Yes, it's Wednesday. It's Sam Talks Technology. How are you? Thank you for joining us today. I've got my guest with me today who I'm going to introduce you in a minute. But uh, before I do, let me tease you. This is the man who uh, invented the T-shirt for Catherine Hamlet. You may have seen the Wham! Choose Life uh, T-shirts. Well, we're going to tell you the story behind that. He also had, I've learnt, a private concert with Pink Floyd, and we're going to find out how he ended up doing that, which is amazing. Let me introduce him first, though. It's Andrew Ellis, or Drew to his mates. How are you, Andrew? I'm very well, very well. Good. Nice of you to be here. You run a business called Lightminds and a digital agency. What are those? Tell us a little bit about that. That's right. Um, so Lightminds is a, we call it a global thought leadership platform. And um, bring together entrepreneurs and business owners to learn from their peers. As I have a belief that um, you never stop learning. And the best way to learn is to learn from the people who've gone from before you. Yeah. Um, so, for example, last year we had the Bruce Daisley, the CEO of Twitter, um, we had um, Jeremy Waite, um, one of the lead evangelists for um, AI at IBM. Yes. Um, and had an amazing group of people, two, three hundred people over two days in Exeter. Uh, and we run that every year. Okay. And when's the next one? Just so we can uh, find out. will be in the second week of October. I'm just um, confirming the dates now. Um, so we'll we'll push out a message about that probably at the end of this month. Okay, and you do regular ones in London as well? And we do regular ones in London, yes. We do uh, business breakfasts at a private members club in Mayfair called 12 Hay Hill. Um, and those are typically uh, early start, you know, 8 o'clock, light breakfast, 15-minute chat, Q&A, and then everybody's behind their desk by 10. So it's a, it's a nice kickstart to the day and gets you thinking. Yeah, and I'm coming to the next one, I've decided. You're coming to the next one. I am, because you've got a fascinating guest on that one. Who have you got? We do. We have Bruce Daisley, who's going to come and talk about uh, The Joy of Work, his new book, um, following on from Eats. And who is Bruce Daisley, for those of you who don't know? Bruce Daisley is the VP of EMEA for Twitter. Yes, so he runs Twitter across Europe. He runs Twitter across Europe. So is he going to be talking about his book, or, or is he going to talk about Twitter? Because He's going to talk about his book. Okay, because Twitter announced today actually a whole bunch of new features and functions don't worry i won't i won't uh, ask you what they are um but hopefully uh bruce can tell us at that event um a little bit more about what their plans are maybe i'm or- sure i'm sure he will i mean the idea is that we provide networking time for the attendees to come and chat to the speaker before he goes and does his talk and then obviously afterwards as well so he can talk off the record to, to some degree and if I wanted tickets, how would I get them? Not personally, of course, but how would you anyone else? Go to uh, Eventbrite, um, and they're listed up there, or go to wearelikeminds, with an S, dot com, um, and the page is up there, so you just click on the page and buy a ticket. Fantastic. So, let's start at the beginning. So, what we want to do is really understand who is Drew Ellis. How did you get here? We've got some fascinating stories from you, and then we're going to go through that and then we're going to cover a little bit about what's going on in the news related to that because you've got a very good insight to it all but young baby drew alice there you are <laughs> there i am you've come out you're dribbling away well no we won't go that far back <laughs> um you, you, where did where where was home where did it all start off 
home, I was born in Ealing, in, in London, uh, but then moved pretty swiftly to uh, Beaconsfield in Buckinghamshire. Um, and A local boy then? A local boy, yes. Uh, used to come down to Marlow a lot. Uh, I can say it's looking very pretty in the wintry sunshine today. Uh, it's nice to be back. Um, so then moved when I was nine to Wilmslow in Cheshire, just outside Manchester, uh, as my father's job was working for British Leyland. And the head office was in um, up in Leyland in Lancashire, obviously. So uh, he used to get up at six o'clock in the morning, God forbid, and drive all the way to Leyland. Yeah, a committed person. Now, we can't say what you said earlier, but you're a Tuesday to Wednesday and Thursday person. Correct. Because you live down in Exeter. I live just outside Exeter. I live just off Dartmoor. Yes. In a little town called Ashburton. Um, so you, 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 you followed in your father's footsteps, getting up early and going to work particularly? I guess so, yeah. I don't get up that early, to be honest, <laughs> these days. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll typically spend midweek in London, um, because that's where most of our eye-to-eye -eye digital clients are. And um, it's obviously a, a, a place I can meet potential speakers for like minds, uh, as well as running events. Yeah. Um, so, okay, so you, you basically start off... now. Where was school? School was Nottinghamshire. Um, I went to Trank College uh, in Nottingham and learned to play rugby badly. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and then went from there to Manchester uh, Polytechnic, as was now Manchester School of Art, to do a foundation degree. Um, as I'd done, a, I'd got a good O-level result, A-level result in art. Uh, right. So that seemed to be the way that, that things were going. And I, I was fascinated by, by music and fashion, as most young people are. Um, and in those days, I'd, I'd gone to stay with a friend in, uh, in Leicester. And we, we went out one night as a you know, couple of 16, 17-year-olds yep. on the town. And I remember seeing all these guys dressed up like Roxy Music um, and just thought how fantastic this was that, you know, I'd never experienced normal people dressing like that, you know, <laughs> dressing like pop stars. Now, did you dress like that eventually then? I did. I'm trying to have this visual image of you. No, I did end up in the Blitz Club um, with Spandau Ballet and Duran Duran in, when I was in, I came back to London to do my degree. Uh, yeah. But that's another story. Okay, we'll, we'll get to that one in a minute. There's too many. Um, so, okay, we've, we've started off, you've gone into design gone into design yeah done my foundation um and this was you know the the latter stages of punk and two guys who were in their third year when i was on foundation were already designing record sleeves one of them um was malcolm garrett who was designing for magazine and the buzzcocks um and the other was peter savile who was designing for joy division and new order um and i was lucky enough to see joy division um when i was in manchester um, and then when I came down to London, um, we reconnected and we've, we've been in touch ever since. In fact, oh, Malcolm wow. came to speak for me at Light Minds. We did a Light Minds in Liverpool last year uh, around design. So before we find out what happened when you moved to London, we're going to play your first track. Right, yes. And what's that first track? It's got to be Roxy Music, Remake, Remodel. Ah, here you go. A little bit of Brian Ferry and that, the good old days from Roxy Music. When we come back, we're going to find out what Drew did in London. You want to know what happened, I promise you.
Please join our Facebook group, Sam Talks Technology, and leave a comment. Don't forget to tell your friends. Indeed, there we go. Bit of Brian Ferry all the way through to the end, to the final beat. Now, I was saying off air, I have never heard that track before, which shows I've got no musical taste at all. That's because you're too young. Thank you very much. (laughs) Yes, as they say, black don't crack. Um, (laughs) um, But... On that note, uh, you were saying it was on the old grey whistle test, you remember watching this? Yeah, there's a fantastic video out on YouTube. Um, Look it up. You know, Brian Eno in full um, feather boa glory and Brian Ferry in his slicked back hair. Of course, he went on to do, as you said, U2. Uh, Brian Eno went on to produce U2. Yeah, indeed. Amazing. So that's taking you back from your days. Funny enough, you said that was more in Leicester than Nottingham. Well, that was where we saw we saw these people dressed up. You know, when I was in Nottingham at school, of course, don't forget, I'm at boarding school, so I'm locked away. <laughs> oh, right, yes. <laughs> You're not allowed out, are you? Um, and then um, after school, um, I went to Manchester Polytechnic to do my foundation. And then from there, did a degree at LCP, what was called LCP, now called LCC, part of the University of the Arts, um, to do graphic design, study graphic design. Right. And so that, you moved down to London. What made you move? Moved down to London because that it was where the work was. I knew that, obviously, biggest city in the country, if I was going to get gainful employment, especially as an art student, um, I had to go to the biggest city in the country to, to get work. Yeah. Um, and fell on my feet a bit um, while I was at... Um, art college I was writing my thesis on record sleeve design um, and I hadn't really quite appreciated that you could make a living at this you know um, as a young student sort of pretty much straight out of school you don't think about how what sort of careers are out there apart from the typical lawyer banker surgeon yeah school careers officers were rubbish basically exactly exactly yeah and um, so I 
went home for the I remember going home for the for the summer holidays, coming back to my my flat that I shared with a couple of guys from from college, and one of them said, "You'll never guess what I've been doing as a summer job." And I said, no, what's that? He said, I went, I've been to work for, the, for a design company called Hypnosis. And now Hypnosis were the preeminent sleeve design agency, company of, of the day. They were the guys that designed Dark Side of the Moon. They floated the pig over Battersea Power Station for Pink Floyd. They worked with Led Zeppelin and Paul McCartney and all of those 70s um, rock acts, pop acts. And I was blown away. And I said, look, I'm writing my thesis on record sleeve design. Would you introduce me? Can I go and interview them? And he said, absolutely. And he took me down there. And I'm chatting to one of the partners. And he said, so what is it that you do at college? And I said, oh, I'm, a, I'm a graphic student. He said, fantastic. We need another assistant. When can you start? Joy of joys, your perfect lifetime job. Perfect job, yeah. And uh, so I did literally started the next day. Um, and a lot of it was making tea, loading film into cameras, understanding how to develop photos. You know, we had our own dark room, our own, our own you know, dark room studio in there. Um, and making sure that the bands that were there uh, felt comfortable, you know, while they were waiting to have the photograph taken or they were waiting to have a, a record sleeve design shown to them. I do remember one incident because in those days we were, they were based at number six Denmark Street, which is known as Timpan Alley, right. where all the music Opposite stores... Opposite the British Museum. Uh, no, no, just behind Tottenham Court Road oh, yeah, Station, okay. yeah, St Giles yeah. Circus. Yeah. And um, I remember coming up the stairs and meeting Johnny... Leiden from the Sex Pistols, <laughs> who was living upstairs in a squat with his I hate Pink Floyd T-shirt on. <laughs> I'm thinking, my God, the band are going to be in a minute. Let's hope he's not hanging around. Now, I'm sorry, I've just got a vision of Pink Floyd meeting Johnny Leiden from the Sex uh, exactly. Pistols on the stairs. Yeah, I know. Scary thought. Huh? Oh, God. Um, so, had the most wonderful introduction to design and working with artists that I loved, that I'd grown up with. You know, I think the first, technically the first album I bought was the Beatles' uh, Magical Mystery Tour, but that was through a, my babysitter's suggestion at the age of nine or ten. Um, the first album I asked for was Led Zepp II, um, and so to end up working with Robert Plant and Jimmy Page, both as part of Led Zeppelin and individually for their solo albums was um, stuff that dreams are made of. Yeah. So um, given given your knowledge of record design covers, mm. what is your all-time favourite, maybe? Is it, you know, you, you just talked about the Beatles briefly. Mm. Is it, you know, uh, from the Magical Mystery Tour? Is that the greatest ever all-time cover? I don't know. People talk a lot about their... Fa I think it's down to your individual taste. You know, people talk about Sergeant Pepper, um, you know, Sir Peter Blake's cover for the Beatles. Yeah, I still That's the one I meant, clearly. absolutely love Dark Side of the Moon because right. of its simplicity. I'm a graphic designer, technically. It's graphics. Uh, it, it sort of ticks all the boxes. And I think it is one of the most recognised iconic record sleeves of all time and I would add a record sleeve that doesn't have the band's name on yes. um, which is something that obviously the record company fought um, tooth and nail against but Hypnosis would come up with this time and time again um, they did it for In Through the Outdoor with um, Led Zeppelin and the manager Peter Grant I remember saying to Storm 
um, something about, well, I don't know about all this design. He says, so you may as well have it in a paper bag. And, uh, and so that's what they did. They shot a very expensive seven different sleeves from seven different positions in a, in a bar that had mocked up and then put it in a brown paper bag. Record company went mental. <laughs> <laughs> Spent all that money to put it in a brown paper Correct. bag. Correct. So I, I really hope when the Chinese landed on the dark far side of the moon yes. that they actually played Pink Floyd. That would have just been... But I don't believe that would have happened. No, I'd have, sadly not. But uh, there that were a lot of DJs talking about doing it on yeah. the day, weren't they? Yeah. Um, so, okay, so you're, you're working on uh, record covers. Mm. You're, you're having a great time in London. Mm. Um, and you were telling me that you heard this little tippity-tap down below you well that yeah so that sort of came a bit later we uh, hypnosis um we're obviously designing some of the um the most expensive record sleeves um because they were flying out roughly what would a record sleeve cost to design in those days well as an assistant i remember banking a check for twenty five thousand pounds in 1980 wow okay so that's what probably two three hundred thousand maybe around there okay um but of course what happened uh, in the music industry, one of the first waves of sort of disruption, if you like, was MTV. And suddenly the budgets that were in sleeves um, went into making pop promos. And the partners of Hypnosis were film school grads. So they founded a business called Greenback Films and then asked me to join Greenback as an assistant. Um, and again, you know, most of that was involved in making tea. But I also learned how to edit and how to produce um how to edit um, on the old Steinbeck machines, not not even video editing. Um, and we did the first pop promos for Paul Young. We did, uh, I remember shooting Wherever wherever I Lay My Hat. In fact, I introduced Paul to his future wife. Wow. Um, I was given a... How? How? How. So I was given a... One of my jobs was um, talent picking. And uh, I was given a um, portfolio of... of actresses to flick through to choose the love interest in this particular film because okay. the, we would we would write a film script that featured the band featured the artist rather than just filming the band performing the song and i remember storm saying to me you better choose you better choose this girl because she's more your age than mine <laughs> and and i fancied her frankly i saw this girl what was her name i can't remember i knew you were going to ask oh me come on I, you... it'll come to me it'll come to me yeah, anyway, we will we'll look it up you in can a look minute. it up google it and um so i picked this uh girl and i remember introducing her to paul at the on set and it was one of those moments when you see two people look at each other and i thought mm-hmm, he likes her and then of course yeah several years stacy later stacy smith stacy smith the lovely Stacey Smith, sadly, no longer with us. Yes. But, um, yeah, so great fun, you know, filming that. But it was very uh, intense. And as someone who's used to then in those days sitting at a drawing table and, and literally drawing album cover designs and creating branding, the frenetic pace of filmmaking where you'd be working, you know, 18 hours, 20 hours a day for three weeks and then stopping until the next film came along. Um, I eventually said to Storm... I'd like to go back into sleeve design. And uh, he said, yeah, I think that's a great idea. You can design the covers and we'll do the videos and we'll do introductions either way. Um, So I ended up with a fantastic client list. So give us some names. So we did Dave Gilmore's first solo album, um, Jimmy Page, The Firm, 
Um, we did an album cover for UFO, a you know, heavy metal band. And then I started to get a, a, a reputation for design and started working with artists of my age group. So Duran Duran, for example. So um, which cover would you have done for them? Do we think? designed Liberty. Okay. Duran Duran. I had a very spooky uh, incident, actually, when I was going around to Nick Rhodes' house for a band meeting and got to the front gate and there was a gaggle of girls outside, as there was... Not outside. waiting for you, I'm afraid. No, but they said, hello, Andrew. Hello. And this is before Twitter, before Instagram, oh. before mobile phones. And that completely freaked me out. And I said to Nick, how on earth do I, did they know my name? He said, I don't know. It's frightening, isn't it? How do you think I feel? <laughs> <laughs> so, and of course, you know, we had this wonderful meeting. He, he's a great art collector, Nick. And um, he had this incredible Basquiat, Jean-Michel Basquiat painting on his wall. Um, well, I think the most recent auction price for a Basquiat is $90 million. Bloody hell. I hate to think Excuse what his me. is worth. I'm just, I shouldn't Stay say that. I apologise. <laughs> Oops. And, um, I, I'm just imagining hanging $90 million on... I, well, I A, I haven't got $90 million, but hanging it on one painting on a wall. I know. And he had a, he had a lovely um, do, a Warhol dollar sign. And uh, I pointed to that because it's a lovely, what I call, domestic size piece. So, you no. Know, a2 sort of size possibly a bit smaller and he said take it off the wall look on the back and i lifted it off the wall and on the back of the canvas it said to nick love andy <laughs> but that's okay. what you can do when you're a rock and roll star. well that's what you can do when you have lots of money i guess i think it was a gift oh okay yeah. fair enough even better yeah. uh, i think the modern equivalent would be getting a banksy now wouldn't it yes yeah, yeah. so okay so you're you're designing covers uh people are making promo videos we talked about mm. michael jackson in that time spending a, what, yeah, a spending million? a million dollars on thriller is um, that a lot now would that be no. considered a lot well, well now yes because of course all the money's gone into the internet right because it's data driven so what, what, what's your view well well it was a question i had in my head from earlier which is um uh, you know the death of the album cover i guess mm. um as a piece of marketing literature mm. although we're beginning to see uh, i think it's a fad uh, the, the return of vinyl yeah. Um, you know, my godson who's 20 is buying vinyl again. I, I gave him So all am my, I. <laughs> yeah, well, I gave I, I used to DJ in London and uh, I gave him all my 12 uh, inch. Oh, right. I had loads of white labels as well from, yeah. from the record companies. But so um, I gave him all of those. Um, but people are not, I, I, I was listening uh, the other day, people are not uh, buying records for the sake of listening to them anymore. They're buying them to hang on their walls as mm. art. Yep, they are. But also, it's that tactile thing. It's this, you know, argument that print is dead, which I don't believe for a moment. People like tangible things. And I th it was very distressing, frankly, for me to see the drop from 12 inches to 120 mil square CD covers. That was bad enough. And then they put it behind a bit of plastic, which mm. took away any metallic um, or texture that you put into the, the actual fabric of the sleeve design yeah i remember a 3d sleeve designs at one point you mm. know people trying to get that 3d look yeah touch do you remember massive attack where you yeah. put your fingerprints on it all uh, heat sensitive so all of that very very creative um print technology uh, sort of got removed and then of course it shrunk down to a little icon on spotify um and i have a big you know i tell i have two girls and um they have never heard music properly. Really? Mm. 
because well, there's you 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 jam in those earphones. I won't say what make, but you can say what make you like. Um, they're tinny. They don't reproduce the sound that that you hear from a set of really good speakers. Okay, so on that point, uh, I understand what you now mean because my daughters have the similar thing. We we got them some Beats headphones for Christmas, right? But but the problem they've got is they've never heard high quality. Well, they have because we've got Bang and Olufsen at home, but they've heard high quality sound, but mm. they don't care. Mm. That's the point. They really don't care. They'll happily listen to Spotify at sixteen. Mm. What is it? 16-bit recording or 32-bit mm. recording and, and just put the headphones in mm. and have that sound. They think that's good enough. Yeah, and, and, and that's, that's, that's fine if you're on the tube or the bus or whatever. Um, but if you want to relax in the way that we used to listen to music, you know, put the headphones on or get the speakers up loud, kick back on the sofa, open the album cover, the gatefold album cover. Read all the lyrics. Read all the lyrics, look at all the photographs, really get to understand the artist and what they're trying to say. Uh, it's a whole different experience now, listening to music. So how can we re recreate that? Hopefully, can we? Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully by vinyl coming back. Well, I know, I wasn't thinking so much that, because I don't believe it will, to the extent where the marketing industry from the record industry will put enough clout behind it budget behind it yeah because i just don't I, I, look i love it i think it's great and i you know I, it was fun watching my godson play vinyl i remember mm. the first time i showed my six-year-old daughter how to play mm. vinyl and she looked at it and she was trying to put it onto the cd player on the wall yeah. didn't work it so yeah. we got a record player mm. um but i don't think it's going to go back to mainstream i, I just don't but I'm, i could be wrong but i don't well it, my take on it as we're talking tech is that we're going to reach a point where you can have a truly immersive experience. And as you know, when you buy the latest televisions now, for example, I've just got a 60-inch screen for my Look at design you. studio. I know. <laughs> With a sound bar, you oh. know. So you've got a base unit, you've got the whole yeah. thing rocking and rolling. Um, can you imagine putting on your VR headset and having that experience standing in front of the artist that you want to see perform and having a live experience in your front room. Yes, now I can I can That's go with that. When. But we, we are what, five years, a decade away? No. No nowhere near. No. What do you think? I mean, that tech's out there now. Yeah, but that's, that's putting on a VR visor and it's all sort of... Yeah, but when you look at the adoption curve of technology, um, you know, my, my youngest Cleo uh, said to me once when she was young... <laughs> Daddy, were you born before the internet? And I said, <laughs> technically, Sadly. not really, because ARPANET was kind of just around. Oh, uh, you're, you are really clinging. I am real. <laughs> no, uh, I'd say you're clinging to the I'm, uh, I'm oh, younger than the internet. Yeah, yeah. And um, I, but I said, she said, what, do you, what on earth did you do? And I said, well, if you think that's scary, Grandad was born before television. All the blood drained from her face. <laughs> I mean, she just, you know, she just couldn't understand it. So... The adoption from my father's generation through radio, television, internet, we're up that hockey stick, we're up the shaft of the hockey stick now. Look at AI and how quickly that's grown. Yeah, I, 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 but I equally, I was going to say 2018 was the over-expectant AR, a VR mm. hype. Yeah. Uh, and let, let, let's look at, my, you know, um, uh, uh, Leapfrog. No. Yeah. No. Uh, Oculus Rift, Oculus Rift, and and, and you know Hololens mm. and Magic Leap. That's Magic it. Leap, yeah. You know they've all 
you know, well, magically it's raised billions, and it's mm. you no, know, it, it's underwhelming as they say um, right now. And I, I, I you, you get sickness from motion sickness in it. Um, there's, there's, yeah. I, I don't get me wrong. I think we will get there. Is like the iPhone three to the iPhone ten. You know, t- mm. a decade later, it's an amazing device. Mm. But I think in between. Uh, I'm not so sure we've got a few, yeah, I'd say five years, in my humble opinion. Yeah, yeah, I'll go, I'll go with five years yeah. rather than ten. Yeah. But so, equally, sorry, just on the last point there, you, you, you know, the other reason I don't believe vinyl will go mainstream, look at HMV closing over Christmas. Yeah. You know, I, know, I don't sad. sadly think, I think there will be niche record stores. Yes. You know, when I started out DJing, there was a, 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 record, sta- a record store called Bluebird Records. It was a soul station. Mm. Um Brilliant. And that was niche, it was small, it was in Luton. Mm. Um, but yeah, not... I think, you know, the, this is the way the world is turning, and I think it is a good thing. You know, the large, um, monolithic, you know, look at Debenhams, look at House of Fraser, um, those sorts of stores, department stores. The large department stores that survive are the ones that give you an experience. You know, the Selfridges, the Harrods, the other ones that are effectively curating product in a in a single physical location are the ones that are going to die what people want now is they want individual experiences or they want individual handcrafted beautiful things you know i'd much rather buy a table designed by you than you wouldn't want one designed by me i promise you that (laughs) than you know something that i can pick up from you know oaktablesrus.com or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? And again, you know, I have a big theory on the future of luxury around this as well, that these brands that have been homogenised by LVMH, like, you know, Gucci and um, so on, um, are going to appeal less to the people who can pay that kind of money for products. They will want something that's a one-off. Yeah. They'll want something that's one of ten. Um, and then want people to say, oh, where did you get that? Or who made that for you? Not just a logo slap from Ralph Lauren. I, I fully agree. I mean, look at Airbnb with his experiences that it launched. Mm. You know, people are now want that customised, unique, individual, yeah. tailored package that can't be bought so. by can't anyone else. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so let, we are digressing slightly. Are. Let's let's come back to you. Um, so uh, you, you, you're... You're building or creating sleeves. You're making lots of interesting videos or yeah. partaking in them. Yeah. Um, and then the lease ran out. Ah, okay. <laughs> it was all sounding too good it was till all then. looking good. Yes. Um, but you can't stay in Denmark paying Denmark Street paying £25 a week. Can you mm. imagine it? I remember the rent. <laughs> uh, so we, we were scrabbling around for somewhere to move the studio and to move Greenback Films as well. Um, and Dave Gilmore came to the rescue. Um, he had a recording studio, or rather Pink Floyd had a recording studio in Islington called Britannia Row, or Brit Row, as we used to call it. And he gave me studio space there. So um, we moved o- down to Islington, which was suited me because I lived in Crouch End, so that was a nice, easy commute. Um, and I remember sitting uh, one afternoon trying to think of a design for somebody and I kept hearing this thumping drumbeat. Bang, 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 bang. And I thought, this is... It went on for five or six hours. And there's a story behind this, which I'll tell you after you've played the track. OK. So, 
I don't think this needs an intro. I'm not going to give it an intro. We're just going to let the music play. The drums say it all. go bit of new order blue monday as i didn't say about two minutes ago (laughs) but uh you know he doesn't need a lot of intro but tell us the story behind it andrew so um 
this this is the penalty for having a design studio above a recording studio. We would hear all sorts of bands come in, and uh, and we met quite a lot of them, and ended up designing record covers for them. I met um, Craig Leon, who's who was the producer behind Blondie and the Ramones, uh, an American uh, New York producer, and he brought an artist to Brit Row called Jeffrey Lee Pierce, and. Um, he had a, a band called The Gun Club, um, which maybe if we've got time, we might play a track from that later on. But um, it was a wonderful way, again, of getting new business. You know, you, the, the artists were almost coming to us rather than us having to go out and, uh, and pitch to record companies. But the, the, the drum pattern on um, New Order, Peter Hook, says is is ripped off from a Donna Summer B-side, I believe. <laughs> and the reason why they took five or six hours to... Um, record that drum track was the tech was just really rubbish and uh, and one of the recording engineers had kicked out the drum machine leads so they had to start over from scratch so you can imagine all this this effort is putting into achieving a particular sound and then somebody comes in and knocks something <laughs> knocks something over and then you've got to start all oh, over again blimey. so that's why it was just going on and on and on and, and apparently the bass line riff uh, was, was ripped off from Ennio Morricone. So Donna Summer, Ennio Morricone. The ultimate mix. New order. The <laughs> ultimate mix. Who knew? Well, we do now. Um, <laughs> there was a trade secret let out the bag. Um, okay, so what happens next? So next, um, we're busy um, designing sleeves, taking photographs of bands, and the phone goes, and the girlfriend of my old boss one of my old bosses at hypnosis was on the phone and she said um i work for a fashion designer called Catherine hamnet and Catherine wants to uh, design some t-shirts she's come up with a with a range of slogans could you you know pop over and come and have a chat to her and she had a workshop um in islington so it was really easy literally around the corner and she said to me look here are all the slogans i want to do how do you think they should be laid out um, I want something, you know, bold. And this was during the time of the Falklands War. Um, and I remember the Sun headline, Gotcha, and thinking how powerful that was as a piece of graphics. And it, and it reminded me of the John Lennon, Yoko Ono poster that said, War is over. It's very strong. And it was compact to bold font, uh, black on white. And so... I took the first slogan that she gave me, which said, choose life, and, um, and presented it to her. And she loved it. And so we then added a little patch, a little silk patch that said, choose life in 25 different languages. And I put a little code underneath um, those translations that said, AWE, which are my initials, Andrew William Ellis, forward slash, the date I designed it, literally the day, the month, the year that I designed it, and then a forward slash KHL which is Catherine Hamlet Limited. And then, of course, the, George Michael bought one, wore one, was given one, I don't know, PR. Um, and, or he just liked your design. Or he just liked it. And wore it on top of the pops, and that was it. Um, they took off, and he then eventually did his own that said, choose wham. And, we of course, we got the famous Frankie... Frankie goes to Hollywood. Say. Frankie says, relax. Yep. Thank you, Paul Morley. Uh, and I think even um, Live Aid... Um, did one uh, run the world which was the, the follow-up to Live Aid um, I remember actually being in I was in New York when Live Aid was on and I was ringing my girlfriend to say are you watching it on TV and she wasn't picking up 
And so I was watching the Philadelphia one, being in New York. And when I got home, I said to her, I was trying to call you all day, you know, to tell you the Live Aid was on and share it with you. And she said, oh, I was there. (laughs) I went, what? And funnily enough, I fished the programme out of the loft the other day. And um, yeah, our, our youngest godfather... Uh, was editor of a national newspaper and he'd got a spare ticket and he'd rung her up and said, hey, I know Andrew's in New York, no, he's away. Um, I've got a spare ticket to Live Age, you fancy coming along? Blimey. Amazing, eh? I didn't go to it. I lived up in Leicester at the time, but my wife, that is now, Gillian, hello Gillian, uh, was there. Yeah, ah. it was an amazing, uh, amazing concert. The one thing I did get to see was Wham! The Final at Wembley. That was a show and a half too. The, uh, Wham! The Final, their yeah, final... That was their final show, very emotional, you know, they were a flash in the pan almost. But yeah. some of those songs um, still remain some of my favourites. And I think we've got one yes. lined up. And is uh, that is that your favourite one? It's my wife's favourite. Ah. And you listen to the lyrics and I keep thinking, why is this her favourite song? <laughs> OK, here we go. George Michael, Sadly Gone, Andrew Ridgely, Wham! And Everything She Wants. <laughs> Thank you. 
go. Wham! Everything she wants. So, Andrew, why does your wife love that? <laughs> I think, think you probably have to ask her. <laughs> Helen, call in. Yeah. That is no. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, you were there at the last concert and you were just saying you met Andrew Ridgely recently. Yes. Um, he was at, a, at an event. He lives in Cornwall now and uh, and I live in Devon, so we're, we're near neighbours. So we yeah. happen to be at the same near neighbours, counties apart, nearish. <laughs> I'm, I'm on the border-ish. Okay, yeah. all right. So, so um, where were we? Gosh, yes, Brit Row Studios. Um, they actually very kindly then built me a studio in an old sort of shed in the car park of Brit Row. So um, we Who's shared. They? Who's uh, they? Pink Floyd. Pink Floyd. Because they own. They own. They. The, they. <laughs> they own the studio. Um, so we, you know, we shared we shared studio space with the with the inflatable pig and the aeroplane and all the bits of kit that they used to pull out on tour, and then from there we moved as the business was growing. Um, we moved to Farringdon Road and took on a three thousand square foot warehouse space um, next to the old Guardian, and um, we started to fill that up pretty quickly, um, and. The phone went, and it was Pink Floyd's manager, Steve O'Rourke, and he said, um, I'd like you to design um, the new Pink Floyd album, which was... Uh, I was tour photographer for The Wall at the Earl's Court gigs, and so witnessed, really, that the, the, the parting of um, the ways um, for the band. They were the last, the last gigs that uh, Pink Floyd played together until Live Aid. Um, or Live 8, I think it was, wasn't it? Um, and Dave had decided to write a new album under the Pink Floyd brand okay. with Nick Mason and Rick Wright, so two-thirds of Pink Floyd. And um, he said, Dave wants to play the album. And so I said, fantastic. He said, what you need to do is get in your car, drive down to Hampton. There's a road that runs along the river with a very long brick wall. And he said, when you reach a, a door in the wall, just sit and wait <laughs> there. And okay. uh, he said, if you see a blue BMW, um, that'll be Dave and he'll, he'll let you in. And I said, okay, this all sounds very mysterious, but fine. And so I'm... Sounds I, like an episode from Homeland. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? I, uh... Pull around the corner, there's the blue BMW. Flash the lights, fantastic. Um, Dave gets out, gets out a really old, rusty-looking key, puts it in the door in the wall, and the door opens, and there are the most beautiful grounds, gardens, um, designed by... Um, gosh, who were they designed by? Capability Brown? It wasn't Capability Brown. It was, I think they're Gertrude G. Cole Gardens. Anyway... And at the end of the lawn is a houseboat. Um, and this is Astoria, which um, is Dave Gilmore's recording studio. Wow. In a, in a, in a, in a boat on the Thames. And um, it was built in 1911 for, a, for an impresario called Fred Carno. And, and he designed it so that an entire 90-piece orchestra could play on the, on the top deck. <laughs> How big is this it's boat? It's enormous. This isn't a boathouse. No, it's no, a Titanic. It's, it's a big. It's a big boat. Is it still there? Yes, it's still there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If you go, if you go down the Thames at Hampton, you'll you'll see it. Uh, it's opposite the. Uh, there's an island where Frank Carno had a hotel, and um, it's opposite there. So I go on, get on board, listen to the album, and then we're sitting on the top deck chatting. And um, he said to me, um, "You know, you know what I've just bought." And I said, no, what? He said, 
I've just bought a Mustang. And I said, wow, I so love those cars, you know, those American. And there's this long silence. And he said, it's not a car, it's an aeroplane. <laughs> so he wasn't talking about the little Ford oh Mustang. Oh, okay. Yes. Foot in mouth time. Um, I would anyway, have done the same, mate. I would have done the same. We, uh, we, we designed the album cover, and um, I left the studio one evening to go back home, Crouch End, and I'm about to put the key in the door, and the door opens, and Helen says, this is a little overnight bag. You need to get yourself down to Heathrow pronto because steve's booked a ticket for you to go to new york to watch the sleeve being printed on press and if you don't go now you're going to miss the flight so i chase down to finsbury park get on the piccadilly line whack down to heathrow late get to the desk and the woman says i'm i'm terribly sorry sir and i'm thinking oh my god i'm You've missed be in so much <laughs> trouble she said the flight's delayed <laughs> yes um, and as compensation, um, I see you're booked in a standard class ticket. Uh, we're going to bump you to business class. And I thought, this is fantastic. You know, I'm 20-something. Um, never flown business class before. And uh, I'm wearing torn jeans and Adidas trainers and uh, n- no socks. <laughs> Looking the part. And... Uh, sitting waiting for the flight to take off and a, and a guy comes up to me and he says I'm really sorry we've got a further delay we're another hour and a half out um, can I see your ticket and I said yeah sure he said oh your business class he said I'm going to bump you to first so I get this wonderful first class flight into New York um, in those days you, if you flew first class you got a helicopter ticket as well to fly from JFK yeah, into Midtown. Yeah, you did. And Virgin, Virgin were very good. They brought that back down for the business class at one point. Did they? Wow. Well, so, But sadly, I, I arrived at night and uh, couldn't get the helicopter. But they put me into a limo, which was great fun. Get to the hotel. They've given my room away. Uh, but don't worry, we've got a suite, so we'll just bung you in that. Did you have a lottery ticket that day? Because you should have like done. I had a lottery ticket. Anyway, so to cut a long story short, um, went down to New Jersey to... Uh, see the print run um, ended up staying the night in the Holiday Inn um, down there and as I'm checking in the uh, receptionist said oh you were with the Madonna party and I said no 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 I'm, I'm with Pink Floyd oh that's right yes sorry sir and I said the Madonna party she said yes she's playing at Giant Stadium across the road so I ran up to my room, dumped my bags ran out the door, ran across the freeway <laughs> got to Giant Stadium bought a ticket, I think it was probably from a tout, and saw Madonna. Um, I can't remember the name of the tour now, but she was throwing Madonna dollar bills in, out into the audience. As, as Madonna could it, and would. Just the most fantastic experience. Really amazing. Went to the um, printing press, approved it, rolled it up under my arm, got a cab back into town, showed it to the manager, and he said, lovely, can you go and show it to the band? I said, yeah, of course. And he said, great. Um, he said, there's a ticket waiting for you at JFK. They're in Toronto. I'm thinking, good Lord, you know. <laughs> Did Helen pack enough? I was, you know? yeah. No, basically. No. <laughs> Helen. <laughs> Who knew? Who knew? So um, arrive at Toronto, get in a cab, uh, the car, rather, the courtesy car that's picked me up. And I said, where are we going? And he said, oh, we're here. And we pulled up outside a chain link fence and I could see another car approaching airside with the orange flashing lights on the roof and um he's we're talking on a walkie-talkie and he said okay we'll do a transfer now he said i can't go any further um so i stepped through the chain link fence you are a member of homeland aren't you this is all 
buzzing, Secret squirrel. Buzzing across the runway, jumbo jets taking off and stuff, and walk into a tiny little production office, um, probably twice the size of the studio that we're in here. Uh, drawing tables everywhere, f- packed with people. There must have been 20 people, 25 people in there. And um, I see Dave, and they said, fantastic, look, let's roll it out onto the drawing table, and we pinned it down. And Nick and he looked at it, and they said, it's fantastic, thank you very much. That was it. And I, I'm just sort of looking at them, and Dave said, oh, really sorry, uh, where have you come from? And I said, well, technically, Crouch End, you know, it's been a bit of a mission. And he said, oh, this is ridiculous, stay with us tonight, uh, we'll put you up in the band hotel, um, what are you doing now? And I said, nothing, you know. He said, come with me. And I don't know if you've been in an aircraft hangar before. Once only, yeah. They are big. They are very big. Seriously big. big. And in this aircraft hangar is the full stage set of the Where they've been practising, I guess. Where they've been rehearsing, yeah. Yeah. Um, And there's a mixing desk sort of halfway down. And he picked up one of those sort of collapsible chairs, director's chairs, plonked it down in front of the mixing desk and said, what would you like us to play? And so I said, you're going to play Time, because that's one of my favourite tracks. He said, absolutely. So that's why I've picked this one. Okay. And we've gone for the full edition. So Excellent. Oh, my God. He's whipped out a 12-incher. It's the record of the week. Yeah, we are going to have this as your record. This is the one you would take if you were going to an island, I guess. This is Pink Floyd. This is time. Enjoy this one. When we come back, we're going to find out a lot more about you, what you're doing today, I think. But over to Pink Floyd.
you go, Pink Floyd and Time. Does that take you back in time? <laughs> it certainly does. What else did they play for you that day? Oh, they played Money, they played Run Like Hell. They played all the, the songs that you would expect to hear from the archive. And then, obviously, they played the album itself. And so what tour was this again? Momentary Lapse of Reason. Did you actually go to it? No, I didn't. <laughs> why? <laughs> because it was in America, and uh, I don't... I don't know why I didn't, if they oh, okay. if they came to the UK. No, I don't uh, know. I was working. <laughs> Again, I'm going to have to embarrass myself. Never ever heard. Have you not? Well, it's the one I, with the beds on the beach. No, I'm not. I'm not a Pink Floyd fan. I, it's strangely because it's a '70s style. Yeah. Um, it's not me really. I mean, um, I guess I, mean, I was only four. But it's it's um, you know it's a classic album. And we all listen to songs that were were made, you know, Elvis Presley before we were born. Yeah. So I, I had this thing with my girls um, when they were younger. We used to call it the musical education of Cleo or Florence. And um, I'd be taking them to school in the car and I'd say, you need to listen to this and play them some Bob Dylan or play them some Frank Sinatra. Um, it, you know, it, I, I have a belief that you need to pass some of this musical knowledge on and if they like it that's great they like it and if they don't they don't and obviously they listen to their own music anyway the one regret i think is is this business of them not listening to music in the way that i've been fortunate enough you know i've sat in the recording studio with artists and listened to playbacks on in abbey road you can't get much better than that in terms no. of audio quality yeah. um, well that's the the what's it the it's mecca the of isn't yeah. it yeah um and i used to love being able to go down and um and, and meet the band in the recording studio and talk to them about what the album was about and come up with an idea and i don't think that really happens anymore unless you're able to work directly with the artist um i think most of the sleeves that are done today are pushed through the record company machine um it's heavily pref, it's pop, heavily press-led, you know, let's have a picture of the artist on the cover. There's no um, passion for interpreting what's on the product. That's... Have you ever been starstruck with all the people you've met? Not really, no, because you're, because you're working. Um, I mean, I, there are artists that I would have loved to have worked with who I probably would have been starstruck by, like David Bowie. Um, I was a little bit starstruck with Robert Plant. Um, but, you know, they're normal people and they're expecting you to do a really good job for them. Well, it's so work. You're, it's work, yeah. yeah. You know, people say, oh, it must have been really glamorous. Well, bits, you know, when you get played an entire concert on your own. Paul McCartney played uh, Beatles songs for me once um, I mean, when I sorry. went to see him in rehearsal. Paul McCartney played Beatles songs for me. Yeah, I, I'd been to um, a, a sound check um, that they were doing at Wembley, I think it was Wembley Arena, and I was sitting waiting for the band to finish rehearsing, um, and they took forever. I was in there for two hours waiting, and Linda McCartney came in and she said, look, I'm really sorry, Paul is very apologetic, um, but one of the band have got to pick up his kids from school so they they need to cram this time in now and then he's got to disappear at three o'clock or whatever the time was um but she said once um why don't you come down she said well, you know silly you sitting here on your own not you know doing anything come come down so they plonked me down in front of the sound desk again 
um, and I listened to them rehearse. Uh, and it was magical, you know. That was the one and only time I actually cried listening to Paul McCartney sing Beatles songs. And I'm too young for the Beatles, just. I, I, well, I just think sitting with Paul McCartney, even meeting Paul McCartney would be amazing. <clears throat> they're, they're all lovely people. I bet know? they are, but us normals... Us normals. <laughs> That's what Elizabeth Hurley calls us. <laughs> yes, us normals don't get to do that. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. Maybe. So, okay, so you've flown back from your Pink Floyd w- private concert. Yeah, um, and by then we were, we were doing a lot of work for the American market as well because we'd always try and design a sleeve that was slightly different for the American market. And as I said earlier, because they need it simpler and less stupid. No, no, Sam, that's no. <laughs> it's because... The they do company, now with Trump. The record company would like... Um, the collectors to buy the album twice. Oh, okay. So it's just for marketing. Money. So it was a marketing tool, yeah. Um, and then we were approached by um, a UK PLC um, to buy the company. Um, we were doing a lot of work for Virgin Records at the time. Um, I did um, Phil Collins' solo albums. We worked for Genesis um, and uh, China Crisis. We did a lot of sleeves for China Crisis. And it came through the art director at Virgin Records. He said, oh, our, our, our big print company that we use are interested in buying a, a creative studio. Is that something that you ever thought about? And I thought, no. I, can you do that? Can you start a company and then sell it? That's kind of cool. You know, I was 29. Um, so, so I did. Um, and... In 1990, 1989, I sold uh, Icon, uh, as it was called, um, to this group. Um, I worked for them for four years, uh, ran, ran the um, creative division, for, for want of a better description, pre-press division, um, with a colleague um, for four years. And then the internet came along. Um, in 1993, I got a CompuServe account. I'm sure you remember CompuServe. CompuServe, I do. Remember yeah. it well. And took the idea to the chief exec and said, look, um, there's this thing called the internet, and I think it's going to be transformational. Um, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a magazine junkie, and I'd always wanted to design and produce my own magazine. Having seen you know, what Neville Brody did, with the face and, um, and Nick, rather Nick Logan did with the face and Neville Brady designed it what Malcolm Garrett did with um, New Sounds New Styles and Casper de Graff uh, I was quite keen to do a, do a magazine and he said what's the internet I write a board report and my eyes started to glaze over because I'm used to that entrepreneurial way of should we do this yeah let's do it well, and, you know break it quick yeah, yeah. that's Fail basically fast it, and yeah. all of that yeah so I did write my board report. I wish I'd still got it because it would make fun reading now, I'm quite sure. Um, and they turned me down. They said, the internet's a fad, it'll never take off. It's all right, you're in good company. Bill Gates in the, the road true. ahead said the same. <laughs> so uh, I thought about it for another six months and um, ended up having a bit of a row with my immediate report and um, took the credit card out of my wallet and the car key off my keys key ring and put them on the table and said i'm resigning and i walked out and you had the ultimate hissy fit and walked i had an ultimate hissy fit and walked. no that's brilliant uh, i got home and and helen it was the summer actually i remember it was august and she was sitting outside the house on on this little veranda that we'd got and she said oh you're home early darling where's the car (laughs) 
<laughs> Bouncing our one-year-old daughter on her knee. Ouch. You've done what? Um, It'll said, be all right. It'll be all right. That's exactly what I said. It'll be all right, darling. I've got a Mac in the spare room. And uh, I decided to call what you would now call a digital agency. In those days, it was called a creative multimedia company. Oh. Uh, you remember floppies and CD-ROMs and all of that. Uh, SciQuest discs and things um, for those uh, Mac techies amongst you. Um, and built i to i initially from my spare room. Um, then through, uh, I was doing a lot of work still in the music industry, obviously, for um, Polydor and... Um, which is now part of Universal Music. And my client said, oh, you're looking for a studio. You need to go and talk to a friend of mine who's got a film studio in this amazing building in Knightsbridge. And I thought, God, this is a bit of history repeating itself. I'm going to be in the same room as a film company, you know, back to the Brit Row days. Tipped up at this wonderful um, Georgian building um, called Bradbrook House, um, which is tucked in a side street called Kinnerton Street, just in front of the um, Barclay Hotel. Okay, yeah. And it's a, it was um, Grosvenor Estate property, um, and it was a live-work space. So it was one of the very few designated live-work spaces in, Lo- in central London. Um, moved in there um, and then moved upstairs to the penthouse when the company grew again. Uh, and we worked for... The House of Commons, we built the intranet for the House of Commons. I did all the branding for the House of Lords and for the House of Commons, which they still use on their <laughs> letterheads. We built Arthur Anderson's UK global, sorry, global website um, with the UK team. Um, we did uh, part of the database for First Tuesday, if you remember the First Tuesday. Yeah, events. well, they've started a next Wednesday. Oh, have they? Yeah, it's on tonight, oh, strangely. Right. Well, strangely, yeah. Um, and I think possibly that was where this whole idea of networking and listening to people talk about what they're doing with their business, in the back of my head, it's it's kind of what Like Minds became, or what became Like Minds. Okay. Um, because you would pay your £10 or £20 or whatever it was and, and mingle with everybody that was anybody in the internet. Yeah, it was, it was. The, the early days were great. Yeah. Really exciting, and riding that dot com wave where people would come to you with, you know, twenty five, fifty thousand pounds to build a website that you could probably knock out on WordPress in an afternoon these days. <laughs> frankly, um, uh, the good old days. The good old days. Charge a hell of a lot. Yeah. More. Um, you know, we built things called Pets to Vets, and uh, we built a site called Money World. I'm, I don't know if I'm allowed to tell this story, but it is. It, it, Go it on, is no funny. one's listening. No, yeah, exactly. Thank you. 16,000 of you. Um, so I was approached by this guy who said, look, I run this um, business called Money World, this online business called Money World, um, but the website looks awful. I don't, need to, I don't need you to build the back end. I just need you to build the front end. And it was one of the first sites we'd ever been asked to build. So I just grabbed it and I said, yeah, that's fantastic. What's your budget? He said, we don't have one. So I was thinking, oh, wonderful. I can charge, you know thousands of pounds and he said no 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 i mean we don't have a budget at all at all and i thought oh here we go so i said right what's the deal he said um if you uh take the project on and deliver it um i will give you three times what you would have charged us in new business 
I will introduce you to new business that will be the equivalent of three times what you would I have clients like that today. I mean, they tell (laughs) me they're going to deliver the world. Yeah, Yeah. go on. So I said, deal, because I wanted to do it. And I thought, hey, you never know. And I said to him, look, what happens if you don't find me? 30 grand, whatever it was. And he said, I'll give you 10%. So I said, okay, done. Shook hands, did the deal. On the day we're supposed to deliver a client to me, never happened. Uh, and I was just about to draw up all the papers when the phone rang and he said, I've got you a client, I've got you a client. Well, that client was still a client 30 years later. So I've had that? way more. They were financial services oh, client. Okay. Right. Way more money than three times over the years. But he sold his business for 11 million. <laughs> oh, my Lord. Oops. Well, in those days, it, yeah, when I say those days, you can still sell. If you actually do build a successful business, there is still a market out there. Indeed. Still there. He sold it to III. Interactive investor, which then sold it. It is now this is money. Oh, so if you put if you type moneyworld.co.uk, you'll go to this is money. Well, we're going to go to the news, and when we come back, we're going to start to look at what happened at CES and a few other things. So, uh, in the meantime, we're going to go over to the boys at Sky and find out what's going on in the big bad world. This is Marlow FM 97.5. You're listening to Sam Talks Technology, the UK's number one technology show. At least, that's what Sam told me to say. Indeed, I did. She's a lovely lady. I tell her many things. Um, welcome back, Marlo. Welcome back, the web. How are we? You're listening to Sound Talks Technology, and I've got my good friend and guest today, Andrew Ellis, or Drew, as everyone knows him, CEO of uh, his own digital agency called Eye to Eye. Eye to Eye, and also he runs an amazing event in London called Light Minds, and also. Well, you, you said it was going to be the South by Southwest. Go on, tell South us South by those. Southwest in the Southwest. Yes, yeah. he runs like mines down in Exeter, isn't he? Down it? in Exeter, yeah. Um, and, yeah, it's brilliant. I've, I've been lucky enough to go down to it at least once, and uh, you know, I highly recommend if you've got time. Great speakers. Have you got any speakers lined up already for this year? Well, not yet. I've got to tie down the date at the moment. Um, we've got a, a rather special guest, I hope, um, I was going to say, who's, to who's, who's here, the, but, but you can't announce it I yet. I can't announce it yet. I'm waiting for a call, as oh, they oh. say. Madonna. Um, yeah. <laughs> Sadly not. No. Um, um, but what we are going to do is we're going to add in a music festival. Um, obviously, South By, you know, has been going since 1985. I think 156,000 people went um, last year. Uh, if that many people turn up to Exeter, it'll break. Uh, so... Um, I would like to see, you know, in the future, two, three, four thousand people coming down. Um, and that obviously depends on the quality of the speakers. And no disrespect to the speakers that have spoken at Like Minds in the past, but the day I get Elon Musk to come and talk, I think I'll probably get two, three, four thousand people coming. Oh, and the rest. Um, I mean, yeah. So, you know, that's the ultimate ambition. Okay. Um, it doesn't matter where it is. You know, South By is in Austin, in Texas. Um, it's not in LA, it's not in New York, it's not in Chicago, you know, so not everything has to be London-centric in this country. Now, what was the one that Paddy Cosgrove set up in Web Summit, yeah, uh, yeah, which is now in Lisbon. Yeah. But he was given 2 million euros by the Lisbon government to move it. 
So, and why wouldn't any, you move any, in? Any governments out there listening that like me to move like might? I'm all ears. Uh, yeah, maybe we can move it to Luxembourg or something. We've got nothing else to do there. So, um, all the talks go up online afterwards. So, if you go to wearelikeminds.com, go to the videos and keynotes, you'll see all the keynotes from last year. And um, one of my favourites, actually, is uh, Max Amadeloso, who's the lead evangelist for Alexa for Europe. Oh, right. Okay. Um, I'm a big Alexa fan. I've got it at home. I know you do too. But uh, Yeah, I might just like her a little bit, yes. In a, in a slightly more intense manner than I have. Um, I've got this uh, call function now, the little box turned up the other day, which I haven't quite... Oh, the Echo Connect. In. The Echo Connect, yes. that's the one. So I'll be, I'll be <laughs> dropping in on you, Sam, to test it out. I've got the Echo Connect at home. It's great. And it announces the calls. Oh, wow. Um, so any, any line... So it connects to your uh, landline. Right. Uh, and then integrates with all all your Alexas. I've got six. Good so what, what I did, when I first connected it and I first called, because I was waiting, come on, someone someone calls a landline. Mm. You find that nobody calls your landline. No. That, that's just yeah. what it is. So you have to call your own landline. It's really sad. Um, but when, when when I did get my first genuine call, all six Alexas in the house went off. Lit right? up. Oh, right. Okay, this is, this is a slight problem. Slight I don't know issue. if they planned it that way. Yeah. So what you can do is you can actually... Uh, on each Alexa, you can actually turn off uh, incoming that functionality. Yeah, right. so so I've only got the one in the study now that comes on because I think mm. that's where I am. That's where I'm working. If a landline call comes in, I don't want to get up. Mm. I can just do it. Mm. Um, it works great, and yeah. and I've made calls out with it as well, so it's fine. See, I've just um, launched a co-working space in Ashburton, and I've over the years... Ashburton is where, for those who don't Ashburton know? is just in the Dartmoor National Park. Okay. Um, down in Devon, just off the A38. Literally halfway between Exeter and Plymouth. Um, and the idea is, as I you know, run a virtual agency, um, to bring in freelancers from the local area you know, who are working in their bedroom, on their kitchen table, etc. And if you have a PR expert, you have a social media expert, you have a web developer, you have a designer, but they're all hot-desking or, you know in the same room, then you collaborate on and off with each other. They've got their own clients they do stuff for, and then sometimes I might have a particular job that needs a particular set of skills, as somebody once famously said. Yes. And um, um, over the years, you know, my commute, obviously the commute to London is is long, once a week, two and a half hours, well, twice a week, once in, once out. But um, the current commute to the co-working space is under four seconds. Okay, it's so, what, in your basement? It's across the road. Oh, okay. It's in an old pub, um, which we've gutted and completely specked up, and we've got super fast broadband in there. And obviously Do you I've have got, it down in the south west? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's nice. Well, we've them. got better internet connection than London, <laughs> to be fair. I'm only joking. <laughs> Cornwall have got it even better. So the idea with Alexa was that I could then ring the man cave or ring the kitchen and say, hey, you know, what's going on? And so I'm connected um, so that's the next thing that I want to set up. And I'm also fascinated by where this whole voice technology is going, is taking us. And we were chatting earlier about uh, the way that children are learning these days. And as always with technology, people complain, you know, 
people complained when television came along that people were getting distracted. I think when novels first came out, there was a huge outcry that people shouldn't be wasting their time reading books. Um, yes, there's always Gutenberg, something. Gutenberg, what a naughty boy yeah, he was. Societal that's that's against these things, and now the backlash is on. Obviously, smartphones and iPads in the hands of preschool children well yeah but but again in that point exactly that point over christmas there was a report that came out i don't know if you saw which said that um you know my wife is very much into you know limiting screen time Mm. you've got new uh, apps on phones and Mm. you know call screen time yeah um and uh that's great and, and we do need to limit people but the report came out and said it's actually not bad for children's health what it is, is if you do anything in an extreme, it's yes. bad for you. Yeah. And that's fundamentally, yeah. and we all know that. If we, yeah. we all sat down and watched telly all day, that's bad for you. Yeah. So Computer games. Yeah, you know. exactly. So anything in the extreme is bad, it's for, bad you. for you. Yeah, no, completely agree. But also, you know, you have to take into consideration the way that people use, to, they use these devices, you know, and it, it was funny to see the videos on YouTube of, you know, one-year-olds and two-year-olds being given a magazine and seeing them try to swipe it. You know, because they were just used to the iPad. But I'm waiting for the first baby to come out with its first word saying, Alexa. Yes, <laughs> quite. <laughs> Not mummy or daddy. Um, and it's really bad if you've got a child called Alexa to it. <laughs> can't, uh, so can't have it anymore now, can you? The, the, the homework situation, you know, has <clears> changed. People said, okay, now we've got the internet. Kids are just looking stuff up online. They're, they're learning how to type much faster than we ever learnt touch typing and now you've got google assistant or google home yeah so they just announced one billion google assistants out there there you go you know people are saying alexa what's the capital of greece a hundred million of those according to amazon out there how's it is anyone going to learn to type anymore why why is that important why would you why would you need to exactly um and do people stop learning how to hand write things oh, I, I'm, my, I have practically learned to forget my yeah my handwriting has deteriorated shockingly well I, was, <laughs> I have to tell you a story this is this is a around the internet was starting i was obviously using the keyboard a lot and i was doing my mba and i had to do all my thesis was fine you sit down with word type it out whatever mm-hmm. came to the exam at the end and of course you don't type you have to write Yes. Oh my god! I had cramp in my yeah. wrist. Yeah, two and a half hours hard, in, I was you? literally yeah. I yeah. couldn't. It's I, weird, isn't it? No idea what I was writing in the end. Hieroglyphics. But then you know there are fantastic advantages. I use Alexa to um, when I'm I'm very old fashioned in some respects, considering that I've been involved in tech since down in '94. Um, I love buying the Sunday Times. I love buying the Weekend FT, physical newspaper. Of course I can look at it online, but I just love that idea of sitting in a cafe, having a cup of coffee with the paper over Yeah, it. so it's an interesting one. My wife is a book reader, mm. but and I ummed and ahed about getting her a romantic Kindle for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Strangely, I didn't, because I think I like living in my house. She would have kicked me out. Yeah. But, you know, I, I get the tactile nature of book and, and paper, but... Is a Kindle maybe? Have you tried one? I haven't. No, and and my wife laughs at me if we go on holiday and I take physical books and she goes, for goodness sake, you know, yeah. why don't you just put it on the iPad? And and technically, I should because they usually holiday reads. You know, I'm not taking art books away on holiday, where which is where I like the tactile yeah. nature of print. But um, the point I was making was that um, you you can look up all this stuff or you can have this physical um, experience, and that sort of goes back to that vinyl thing of having something in your hand mm. that's a physical 
experience. And and I don't think that will ever go away for some people. You know, people will always want that as part of their life as a certain generation. And I get that my children's children might not be like that. Oh, I don't know. I mean, <clears throat> I always believe we've got five senses. Mm. And, and, you know, computers have to give us all five senses eventually. So... Yes, we've got sight, we've got sound. Um, touch is what we're talking about here. Yeah. You know, a- Apple tried to, exactly. Mm. Um, didn't really work, but, you know, uh, you've got gaming where there is joystick uh, touch feedback. Uh, Amazon Showroom launched this week their virtual reality or, yeah, their virtual reality uh, on the store. So right. you can drag in, you know, furniture and tables into a room and, you know, mm. preview it. You know, I mean, I don't know. You know, it's, it's a bit gimmicky, isn't it? I mean, it some is of these now, things just because you can. But you know, we were talking much earlier. You know, we we're talking about VR being able to have that in your living room, watching mm. a band, li- looking at the cover. But that's different, things. isn't it? That's an that's an experience. Um, I mean, how many people downloaded those programs where you could move the furniture around your home? You know, yeah. And I get that, and I think that is gimmicky, but take that forward to what you said. Okay, one could be I I could put myself into a private concert. You had Mm. one with Pink Floyd, but, um, you know, I could have my private concert in VR with Mm. the band, Mm. for example, but equally with the Amazon showroom, if it was a VR solution, I could be in my own room. Yeah. It could measure my room. And literally, I'm picking off the Amazon shelf. There's my sofa, there's my thing, and I'm literally designing my room in VR Mm. that I want. In mm. my own room. Mm. So I do, you know, we, we, we talked about how long is that time frame between it's available and, mm. you know, it being useful. But at some point, maybe 10 years, five years, we said five, but mm. maybe 10 in that decade, it, it would probably happen. I think, um, again, because the world changes at such a huge rate, I mean, one of the things I wanted to talk about was Facebook and whether we thought that Facebook was going to be around um, in the next 10 years. Uh, what's your thought? I'll tell you mine in a minute. I I think that it's going to be dismantled um, in the same way as a monopoly. What, WhatsApp and uh, yeah. Instagram split yeah. off? Yeah, yeah, that's possible. Yeah. Um, you know, people talk about this, oh, I was chatting about such and such the other day and then I went to my phone and the ad appeared on my phone. There have been too many coincidences for me personally. They're listening to you. I don't know who whether it's a Facebook app or whether it's a messenger app or whether it's Apple or Hawaii, you know, whoever it is, there are too many incidents where I've been talking about something odd. You know, I'm not talking about, oh, shall we go to Tesco tomorrow? I'm talking about, oh, a particular architect. And then suddenly you see an ad that is about that particular architect's building, you think. Okay, wow. I, I agree. There are a lot of, uh, yeah, conjecture. Let's mm. say about that and whether it happens. Um, I'm not a believer in that myself personally, but that's fine. But I do believe Facebook may be on the decline. Mm. I think it's challenges and woes from Cambridge Analytica and everything that yeah. went on this year yeah. um, has made people, mu- yeah, much more reticent with with Facebook. Mm. Your kids, you know, they're in their 20s and, and, mm. and, you know, ones in the 30s. But my kids are teenagers. None of them are on um, Facebook. Are they not? Oh, it's the granddad's network. Ah, oh, God, no. Yeah. They wouldn't touch it with a barge pole. Yeah. Um, I think my daughter's on it occasionally because she wants to say happy birthday to me when she's at uni. But what, are they on Instagram? 
No, well, they're on Instagram a little bit. Snapchat's the king. Still. Oh. All I hear is about Snapchat in decline. Oh, well, no, as a business, it's in decline because it's not getting the revenue so it was through. Over, overvalued. Yeah. yeah, it's not getting the revenue through. They, they can't find a revenue model, and, and Facebook are really just sitting back. Well, they're oh, just copying new, everything exactly. that they do. Oh, you've got to come up with a new idea. Yeah, yeah, we'll whack that into Instagram. Oh, another filter. Yeah, we've yeah. got the same one a week later. So yeah. Instagram is popular. Um, don't Although, get, have you heard of the new Instagram? Go on, then. TikTok. Yes, a massive, massive uh, Chinese. Chinese company, mm. world's most valuable startup. Yeah. yeah bigger than Uber, even, mm. which mm. is crazy for watching videos. Mm. Uh, but it's using AI, which is really interesting, to determine what video you've seen and then literally giving you a dopamine hit of more of, of the same. More of the same stuff. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's, it's going to be massive. Um, so CES was this week, the Computer Electronics yeah. Show. Um, and we were talking about the Alexas, and I, w- I want to come back to that for a reason, because you talk about things listening in. Yeah. It was the most sold uh, Christmas present of uh, the year, you know. 2018. Yeah. yeah, I mean, they sold out of the Echo Dots pre-Christmas. You can't get hold of one till probably a couple of weeks from now in, in January. Um, I oh. bought one for the in-laws, you know, and they were going for £20. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a giveaway toy. Oh, a- absolutely. In fact, we gave every uh, speaker an Amazon dot. You generous young man, oh, you. No. <laughs> no expense spared. No expense spared. But, but given that the, the, you know, I think it's one in four households in the UK now have a smart speaker of some sort. Um, yeah. Are, are you worried that we're listening they're listening into us is that because you've you just said you're worried about facebook yeah so. i think that i think that is an issue i mean i use i use alexa to um the, the to-do list function yeah so when i'm reading my old-fashioned newspaper and typically what i would do is stop see something interesting stop reading get my ipad go online once you're on the internet you're a down a rabbit hole and about half an hour later i come back and have to reread the article <laughs> because i've forgotten the first bit yeah. of it so i've stopped myself doing that I say, when I see something interesting, Alexa, add this to my shopping list, uh, my to-do list, rather. Yeah. And then at the end of my reading session, say to her, email me my to-do list. Yeah. And then when I'm on the train coming into London, I can look up all the stuff that I was interested in exploring further. And that's what a virtual really assistant useful. should yeah. be. I mean, I remember really the first time I got one, I asked it to play music, and it was instant. Mm. At that moment, I realised that this was the new... Yeah. Uh, and discover, music discovery is so much better. You know, in the old days, again, you'd be flicking through, you might buy a record on a recommendation, you might buy it on its sleeve, God forbid. Um, <laughs> on but, yours, uh, I would have, yes. Uh, now, someone mentions a band to me and I go, oh, you know, play that to me. Mm-hmm. Um, really yeah, good. although, strangely, the report, <laughs> again, that came out over Christmas was that we are not discovering new music, we are dropping back into really? habit. Because... We, 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 you want memories well, rather we, we, than... Yeah, we don't know what we don't know. So the problem yeah. is, what they're finding out is the charts might have, you know, Ed Sheeran at number one and whatever, whatever. Mm. Uh, and actually what the Alexa chart is, is Pink Com- Floyd, the Beatles. Yeah. You know, it, yeah. it's because we don't know what to ask, so we go back to what we know. Um, mm. So they are struggling, Amazon, with new music discovery. That You know, they've got playlists, they've got, you know, mm. what's coming up, but... People, I don't know, um, yeah, maybe at our age, don't 
want to go and find new music. We don't talk about music as much as we used to. No. Music is what you talked about when you were a teenager and 20-something. Although I was in the car with my youngest today, you know, and she's listening to Grime, which I hate. Yeah. Um, But I said, well, where do you hear all this music? Because it's got swearing in. (laughs) You nearly said the C word. No, I didn't. (laughs) No, 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 no. Ofcom, I never did. Um, uh, No, the the, the fact it's got... um, uh, swear words in it. You, you can't listen on the radio, of course, right? Yeah. So I said to her, "Where do you find your music?" She says, "Well, we Sound don't plan. really listen to." No, yeah, exactly. They, they, they go for discovery themselves. Mm. So maybe it is a generational thing. Mm. Um, I mean, I've discovered a lot of music on SoundCloud through um, Casey Neistat. Do you know Casey Neistat? No, American vlogger. Right. Um, I don't know. Twenty million subscribers, something insane like that. He's a very he's a character. He's a personality. I'm very good at what he does, um, although the content perhaps isn't wonderful. Um, but he spends a lot of time on a um, boosted board on going down New York, you know, keeping pace oh, with okay. cabs yeah. and stuff, and vlogging from that. But the music he uses in the edits is really cool, and there's a lot of artists, Joachim Kurid, um people like that, uh, that are worth listening to. Okay, but but you know, I guess it's then influencers having to be our new discovery. Yeah, where where in the past Radio One would be your your influencer for yeah. want of a better description. Uh, yeah. yeah, you know, I don't know who listens to Radio One nowadays. It, it, it's not me. No, I mean they they are struggling. They're losing numbers mm. um, because radio is increasing. That's a good thing. Mm. But it, it's but it's, again, it's that fragmentation. It's that personal. You know, this show. It's a personalised. You know, crafted thing that is a niche yeah we're appealing to we're a appealing geek to techie a, audience yeah, and you know, audience um you know sorry the rest of marlow if that's not for you but you know that's yeah, who but they've got other things that you know they've, they've got radio one and radio two if that's what they want or radio four or uh, absolutely you know uh podcasts and uh are, are where you get your info and thank you for the little plug because if you want the podcast for this show obviously you can go to itunes spotify shortly and stitcher of course now and soundcloud so um thank you for the little <laughs> prompt no um but going back to her mad her, herself madame a alexa um yes. just announced it's coming to the car yes which yes. is brilliant i um actually was in uh, a web a webinar um, that Amazon gave about uh, three or four weeks ago, and they were talking about this, and I think that's fantastic. I mean, well, that- I've got um, a Rove R O A V. It's a little thing that plugs into your um, cigarette lighter. Yeah, uh, and that's an Alexa, basically. Oh, okay. um, and what it allows me to do is hands-free communication. Mm. Um, it's not fully built in, so I can't do mapping, which is the one thing, and directions, which would be the really useful really? thing yeah. um, but I don't know if you know the Amazon Music now has gone totally hands free so if you have the app open in the car playing music you don't have to touch it you can just go Madam A next track next track will play and it, it's literally got Alexa live on your phone I might struggle with that in my 2000 year old Volkswagen BMW <laughs> but yeah <laughs> okay um, so yes yeah, so I think from CES a couple of the things that I won't be buying that have Madam A in it um, a £2,000 toilet. Oh, good Lord. Yeah, it's it's got lights and stereo speakers on it, the toilet, that is. Mm. Didn't I read somewhere that um, you can buy toilets now that will assess your... Stool. Stool, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't care. Um, I mean, I think it's a great thing, you know? If you can detect bowel cancer that way, early, fabulous. Where's Gillian McKeith when you need her? <laughs> 
Sorry to bring the tone down. There. No, that's fine. <laughs> no, but you know, it's it's I, well, I think they're struggling with some of the things. I think that there has been a whole host of new functions and features mm, brought mm. out to the Amazon Alexa. And on a next week's show, we're going to be doing a special about what came out at CES and go in depth about um, voice assistants in mm. in that one. Mm. But um, you know, I I linked mine as a you know i said to lights and thermostats and stuff but it's still not smart what i'm what i mean by that is it's still individual hooked together by Mm. you know um what i want smart is i walk through the front door and you know you can create routines now yeah it's got to be a little bit smarter you know Mm. i don't want to be going to the thermostat turn it down turn it up i want the thermostat to be doing a lot more Mm. work Mm. air quality and Mm. all those other things Mm. it'll get there it will get there i mean one of the speakers that we had um at like minds last year was um jeremy Waite, uh who came to talk about the enterprise ibm watson yeah and if you watch that video, there's an amazing bit. There was a couple of amazing bits. One where he showed uh, a set at Wimbledon. And you watch these two tennis players playing playing tennis, knocking it backwards and forwards. And then he said, so why have I shown you that? Who can tell me why that's special? Nobody could tell him. And he said that entire piece of television was edited by Watson. By a computer. Wow. Yes, it, I remember that. It yeah. knew what the audience was expecting. It knew where the players, you know, it knew absolutely everything over millions of hours of watching tennis. Um, and then the second one was um, a personality uh, test where he invited one of the audience to give them, uh, give him their Twitter name, and it analysed all their tweets, hundreds of thousands of tweets. <laughs> And then said, you're a this sort of person and a that sort of person and you like this and you don't like that. Absolutely fascinating. All drawn from his analysing his, his input, his content. And uh, those sorts of things, I think, can start to be incredibly valuable. So 2019, I mean, we're coming to the end of the show. 2019, what do you think is going to happen? Gosh. So we're saying that social media might be in decline. Social media might be in decline. Voice is on yeah. the rise. Voice is definitely on the rise. Right. Um, um, AI? VR, VR, AI. You know, DeepMind, we haven't really touched on what Google are doing yeah. um, with that. Um, well, the Google all... Assistant, as we said, one billion devices. Mm. Um, it's certainly getting a lot, lot smarter with, with AI. It, it's predict The predictive nature of tech is, is the big growth area. Um, which is going to help all sorts. It's going to help stock markets. It's going to help because stock markets are driven by human emotion. Most, I mean, obviously, there's an underlying um, uh, financial uh, effect of, of stocks and shares, but the, the decision-making process of whether shares are going up or down at any one particular time is sentiment. Um, unless there's been a you know huge announcement that you've had a car that's got to be recalled or whatever. I don't know if anybody's watched billions. Um, which is an amazing show on um, Sky Atlantic, um, and it's about a, a you know it's a fantasy show about a billionaire who's investing in businesses, but he's insider trading, and he's finding this knowledge by satellites going over factories and seeing how many cars are in the car park and how many vans are there delivering stuff. And he thinks, okay, these guys are doing really well or these guys are about to go bust. Fascinating. 
Thank you, Sam. That show was amazing. To listen again, please visit our website, marlofm.co.uk, or visit our Facebook group, Sam Talks Technology. And now you can subscribe on iTunes. Never miss a show again. See you next week. Same time, same place.